In most of our Bibles, it is a simple flip of a page to get from the Old Testament to the New Testament. One quick page turn gets us from the last chapter of Malachi to the first chapter of Matthew. But in historical terms, that single page turn, it sweeps past 400 years of time between the Testaments. Four centuries after the ministry of Malachi and the completion of the temple, until the arrival of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. So, as we flip that page, starting today in our journey through the Bible, you might imagine hearing this question asked over and over again by people throughout those 400 years. How long, O Lord? As in that single page turn, the world changed. Ruling empires rose and fell from the from the Persians to the Seleucids to the Greeks and Alexander the Great to the Romans and their Caesars. And the global economy changed from agricultural towns in the Old Testament to cities in the New Testament, bursting with, with commerce and culture and, and improved roads that, that solicited international travel and business. And the band of people known as the Israelites in the Old Testament would now be known as the Jews in the New Testament. And they would continue to live under oppression as unwilling pawns under the shifting rule of one empire to the next. Their beloved temple would become fused with, with the palace of King Herod, symbolizing a blasphemous fusion of government and religion. And there would be a new professional religious group called the Pharisees, intent on preserving the purity of Jewish law and tradition. That's a lot of change in one flip of the page. But through it all, the single question filling the minds of these Jews over this 400-year period of time would be this. How long, O Lord? How long must we Wait for your peace and justice to fill the land. How long until we see your shalom? How long until your Messiah comes? I don't know about you, but that question has been on my mind quite a bit over these past several months, and it has been most pronounced over these last several days and weeks. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, before we see an end to racial injustice and an end to the tears of mothers like that of Jacob Blake, and an end to the need for people to vent their anger in the streets and in the sporting arenas and in the airwaves because no one seems to be listening? How long, O oh Lord, as we watch the debilitating effects of COVID-19 arresting our way of life, causing confusion and burden to our students and teachers, stricken our loved ones and filling us with grief. How long, O oh Lord, as we see the deadly destruction of nature in all its fury with mounting evidence of a strained climate on a broken planet with fires in California, hurricane force winds in Iowa, and the catastrophic damage in the northern Gulf, all the while recognizing that we're not even yet at the peak of hurricane season. And we find ourselves here in Tampa watching the tropics every day. How long, O oh Lord, as we conclude two weeks of political conventions, cheering for our own preferred candidate and party, struggling to see the humanity in the other side and feeling ourselves filled with a kind of animus 
that surely is not healthy for our own mental health, let alone the preservation of our union. If only it were as easy as flipping a page. Well, the journey through the Bible once again provides us with just the right scriptural moment at just the right time. And Matthew is just the right book for us to begin this morning. And and even even if you have lapsed in the daily readings this year or, or haven't read them at all, now is a perfect day to go to BibleProject2020.com and start the New Testament with us today. Because we not only get to Jesus today, we get to Matthew's version of Jesus. Notice, notice as you, as you read Matthew, just how messy and chaotic he portrays the world into which Jesus was born. The first chapter, you know, the one with the long genealogy, contains a few names that, that may be more familiar to you now that you've read the Old Testament. Names of imperfect people who embodied the sinfulness of humanity and the graciousness of God. The, the ancestry of Jesus was messy. And, and, and instead of the Christmas story in Luke's gospel, in which we have joyful, tender stories of Mary reflecting and the shepherds watching and, and the angels singing, we get messy stories in Matthew of a righteous man named Joseph torn in a nightmare between religious convention to put away Mary and a God who tells him to buck what society tells him to do. And it's here in Matthew that we get the person of King Herod, the most narcissistic, power-thirsty, and paranoid political figure since Pharaoh. In Herod, we see the symbolic culmination of just how broken the world was, politically and socially, and in every aspect of communal life. Make no mistake, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus was born into a broken world. And Matthew would remind us that the life and ministry of Jesus was intended to have political consequences, to address the real life issues of peace with justice in his time. Jesus did not just come to be a, a private spiritual advisor or a self-help guru, but to be directly engaged in the social and political crises of the day to name the sins that had infected every aspect of personal and cultural life. His arrival came at just the right time then, and his arrival to us in our biblical journey comes at just the right time as well. At the start of each of these Gospels, I will give you a lens, a filter that you might use to see the central and distinct meaning of each Gospel writer. And for Matthew, I want to give you a three-word phrase that comes from the New Testament scholar John Dominic Crossan. Crossan said that the distinguishing message of Matthew, particularly in its parables, can be summarized by this three-word plot line. Advent, reversal, action. Advent, reversal, action. Here's what that means. In most of these stories and teachings in Matthew, there is first an advent or arrival of Jesus in which he breaks into the scene and illuminates what is broken about the world or the human condition. And then there's a reversal in which Jesus takes conventional wisdom and conventional religious teaching, normal ways of seeing the world, and flips them upside down. And then there is a call to action in which what Jesus says and does 
demands the hearer and the reader to change something about themselves. Advent, reversal, action. It's all throughout the book of Matthew. And Crossan says that this is best found in two parables that are found only in Matthew, which we're going to read together this Friday in Matthew 13. We read a parable of a treasure hidden in a field and a parable of a hidden expensive pearl. Both stories of how God's kingdom breaks into the ordinary life of a person searching for value and meaning. That's Advent. It then reverses conventional wisdom in a way you do not see coming, a treasure found where you least expect it. It's the reversal. And it elicits a complete change in behavior for those who discover it. Action. So as you read these stories in Matthew, you would do well to ask these three questions of each one. Number one, what does this story tell me about how broken I am and how broken the world is? Advent. How does this story challenge my assumptions and the ways of the world? Reversal. And three, what change in behavior and perspective does this story require me to make? Advent, reversal, action. And what we will discover as we read Matthew is that Jesus comes at just the right time into a messy world and calls and empowers us to be the change that the world is longing for. In other words, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes into a messy world and empowers us to clean it up. That's why one of the hallmark passages in the gospel of Matthew, probably the section that Matthew is most known for, is the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7. If you want an example of Advent reversal action at its clearest, then read the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. In fact, we could probably spend weeks on this one passage alone. And don't be surprised if we do sometime next year when the Bible project is over, because it is a concentrated collection of passages that diagnoses the human condition, Advent, challenges us with words that we probably wish Jesus never said, reversal, and leaves us no choice but to change our behaviors and our attitudes about God and others. Action. I mean, it's the message of Matthew in a nutshell. The change that God wants to make in the world begins with the change that God wants to make in you. And by the way, if you want an easy way to spot the reversals in Matthew... Just look for the times when Jesus says this phrase, but I say to you, Jesus said, you've heard it said that you should not murder, but I say to you, anger is just as bad as murder. It's not just about ending violence with a weapon. It's, it's also about ending the violence in your heart and with your words and in the systems that produce that violence. Jesus said, you've, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you objectify a person and dehumanize them with your own, for your own needs, then that is just as bad. And in today's scripture reading, we hear the hardest reversal of all. You've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See the humanity in other people, especially if they disagree with you. 
if their, if their ideas make your skin crawl, and if their actions have hurt you, still love them. It does not mean turning a blind eye toward injustice. It does not mean condoning evil. It means recognizing that the evil we are called to overcome must not be met with an evil within ourselves. That's why both Matthew and Luke remind us to check the log in our own eye before we go around pointing out specks in the eyes of others. Yep, the world needs Jesus today. And these readings come at just the right time. And Matthew would remind us that the change that God will make in the world begins with the change that must happen in us. In the way we think about others, in the way we work toward peace with justice, and the way we love instead of hate. Love, after all, is at the heart of the gospel. Love is what we must remember as we begin our journey in the New Testament today. And O Love is the simple title of this beautiful song that the Chancel Choir offers us now. And as you listen to it, think about what changes you need to make in your own life in order to allow God's love to flow in and through you. And then after the choir sings, listen to Stephanie Clark, one of our newest church members who gives us a powerful personal testimony of what God's love has done to change her life and her family. Her story shows us the power of the gospel at work. And it reminds us of why we do what we do as a church. Let's remember the difference that God's love can make.
As long as I can remember, I've always had the Word of God in my heart. I grew up in a Christian household and have always been a believer. My mother taught me the verse, train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. My heart brought me to Hyde Park United Methodist Church, and going has been transformational for me and my family. The songs we hear on Sundays have become part of our morning routines, car rides. The children just love the youth ministries. We recently participated in the new member class, which helped me see how special our church really is. Hearing each week from Justin, you are loved. And learning more about our church's core values made me want to become more involved. And I felt so proud that we were joining the church. I'm thankful to be part of a community that's such a simple mission, making God's love real. There's no strings attached. There's nothing I have to do to earn the love or to belong or to fit in. Hyde Park loves me right where I am today. And I am so thankful for that. That is the difference that God's love can make. And we get to be a part of it. These readings in the New Testament may be easier than the ones we've been reading over the past few months, but they are not simpler. They are harder to hear. They are more difficult to apply. But God's love is the antidote for a broken world. Just ask Stephanie. Our commitment to Jesus involves every aspect of our being, including what we do with our money. And your financial generosity to the church and for God will help spread the message of God's love near and far. So we invite you now to click the donate button online or text or mail your gift. Let's make God's love real together. <laughs>